I would argue that the classic ERP of old is pretty outdated and out of step with where companies need to go. I would make an argument that there's a modern version of ERP that is much more relevant. Hello and welcome to The Growth Business, a business podcast sponsored by InCloud Solutions, the center of excellence for mid-market ERP software business by design. I'm your host, Lucy Thorpe. And this month, I'm joined by a leading voice from the world of digital business technology. Informed, customer-focused, and often controversial, John Reed is co-founder of Diginomica, a hugely influential online information site created to foster an open and transparent dialogue between independent technology commentators, vendors, and buyers. Welcome, John. Well, thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here. It's great to have you on. Did I get that about right? Is that how you describe Diginomica and yourself? Yeah, you did. And there's many ways to describe us, but I think that that was a pretty pretty darn good description. As far as the influence is concerned, the way I think about that is that you kind of have to earn it every day. So uh, I want to kind of stay humble versus thinking of as some hugely influential site, but I feel lucky that the team that we started this site with eight years ago is very passionate about trying to make a difference. And we really are trying to do that in a market that's full of hype and misinformation. And you, you really suckered me into this podcast with the right pitch because you wanted to have an outspoken conversation. So I'm promising your listeners, I'm going to try to deliver on that. And, uh, and, and also I have a little bit of strong, uh, deep, passion and history with by design so that's also a bonus that i didn't realize so i'm a little scared now but let's well see. i i should be the one who's scared because you 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 send me like a pretty daunting list of topics and questions that you might cover so i gotta be in my game today let's ease you in though why don't okay. you tell me a little bit about yourself you describe yourself as building enterprise communities since the 90s you've been in an erp basically since it, it started then yeah you know it was interesting because i I started building uh, an online recruiting firm and I was really focused on the ERP industry and I was captivated by what the potential of that change might mean for organizations. Of course, when you look back on it many, many years later, you realize that a lot of that promise uh, did fall short for various reasons, but but at the time it was certainly an energizing thing to be a part of. And I eventually realized, you know, looking back at what I was doing, that I was really building web communities in, in this industry. And 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 why I think that's so important is that I think out of a good community comes advocacy for customers to vendors, which I think is really important. And so it was really cool to figure out how to be a part of that. And eventually I just kind of realized that um, this is a chance for me to take that and then combine that with my passion for writing and journalism and podcasting and kind of with Diginomica become more formally a journalist. But that was kind of how things evolved. The, the, the really striking thing about Diginomica is it, it does put customers first um, in a very robust way. And a lot of the talk at the moment is about digital transformation, whatever that means to, it means so many different things to so many different people. How can we sort of talk about that in the real world? Are there any examples that you're seeing now of, of people that are, are really doing well with that? Yeah, I mean, we have to be a little careful with transformation because obviously vendors have a, have had a vested interest in in pushing this topic because when you buy into transformation, you're probably going to buy some software. So uh, I'm always kind of asking customers, what does this word mean to you? And is it real to you? Look, they don't always use that word. But I think the one thing that is pretty much getting to become universal at this point is this notion that, especially in pandemic circumstances, that 
that we've been sort of so thoroughly challenged by economic conditions that we do have to have a response and 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 the response ideally should put us in a better competitive position but also uh you know in the ideal world will will provide a better place for people to work and a, a better way to serve customers and 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 by the way a more effective supply chain uh, uh in a world that where that's not an easy thing to deliver anymore and and so in my mind like when you talk about transformation it should be a customer driven process that is really based on all those things people culture technology process and you know when we try to tackle that topic at digitonomic we try to tackle all of that as far as examples of that the bigger the company the more difficult it is to find examples of really complete transformations that have worked now now obviously you could kind of point to some of the companies like the the facebooks and the netflixes and the amazons who kind of built their infrastructure from scratch as like these modern you know, uh, darlings of the industry, so to speak. But like when you look at companies that did have deeper legacy infrastructures, the large companies, they've been challenged by by that legacy infrastructure. And and look, I mean, it's a moving target. I, I don't think transformation is ever done, first of all. And, you know, but one of the companies that I have looked at a fair amount, because we do a fair amount of retail coverage is Target. And, uh, you know, Target obviously had a little bit of a pandemic advantage and then a lot of the stuff that they they provide was was needed by consumers even in the early days. But you know, I did an interview with their CIO a couple of years ago and was very impressed by how seriously he was taking the back end transformation of of Target and tying that to the front end. And so, breaking down the digital system so they didn't have data silos and and really tying the pieces together. And I think you can see that in a lot of the results that that particular company has gotten, I would argue that the target has outperformed based on the fact that they were invested in that before the pandemic. They didn't know the pandemic was coming, but they they had already been very like deliberate about not just building customer focused apps, but tying things back into a more, you know, microservices based, more open source backend where they can drill into performance on a store by store locational basis and things like that. And so I was very impressed by that. I mean, obviously you're talking about a company that probably has more than a thousand data scientists. So not every company can duplicate that and have that type of success and has those kind of resources. Um, one interesting one from the SA, SAP beat uh, is Hillrom, H-I-L-L-R-O-M. <clears throat> I interviewed their CIO while back there in healthcare. They're a sizable company, but not, not Target. I was very impressed if you checked the Genomica. They have a very well-rounded approach to the transformation story there. Uh, and one of the really interesting topics was about a company that is invested in a multi-year S4 HANA project and, and, and having a very interesting conversation with, with the CIO about, okay, well, how are you going to demonstrate all along the way that this is working? Because frankly, the corporate appetite for multi-year uh, you know, ERP back, out, back office projects is not very good. But he is very, very good at talking about how they're stacking up wins along the way and how they are not taking a back office focus, but they're taking more of a, a corporate industry-wide focus. So those are a couple of examples. And then there's actually a BYD example, if I can uh, pull it up, but it was uh, a recycling and bottling company that uh, in, in their case, what they really wanted to do was to expand and grow with the software program. And so what they didn't want to do was buy like a small business software program. And then that program would not be able to encompass the growth that they had in mind. And so one of the buying considerations right now for upstart companies that have growth ambitions is, well, how do we buy software that isn't going to hamstring us down the line? And so it really depends on the company exactly how you're facing up to this transformation. But 
but yeah, that, that article came out in the spring and I'll, I'll, I'll bring you the company name later. But anyway, the examples basically being like a startup, a midsize company and a large company. So any company can tackle this, but I don't think it's an easy thing to do. I'm glad that you mentioned the midsize and, and BYD, because obviously that's what my company is involved in, in selling. And you pretty much seem to be hitting the nail on the head there by saying that it's a great product for people who, who want to grow. So we're aligned there. So you're not going to be rude about uh, business by design. No, the company, by the way, the bottle maker is called Frugal Pack. If you want to do a search on Digonomica, that's all one word. I don't Um, need to because the company that has uh, taken over in cloud called Sapphire Systems was the implementer and the seller of that. It's a brilliant case study. Well, there you go. Um, Look, I mean, we could have a long conversation about by by design if you want. Um, By design, I don't think listeners might not appreciate just how many times that product was in a death spiral inside of SAP and how close it came to being canned many, many years ago. Uh, It's really a remarkable story. And and that was always unfair to the product, by the way, because it was always a good product in a lot of ways. And it all, whenever we did customer interviews and uh, my colleague, my former colleague now retired Dan Howell and I did a ton of customer interviews on by design customers back in the day, probably more than 50 though. Unfortunately, not all of them are online anymore, but but you could always hear from the customers the passion they have for the product. And, uh, you know, it's it's really a tribute to the team that the leadership team of By Design, which still includes Rainer Zeno, who in my mind is one of the, the best software executives in this industry, that the, that the product is is not only still alive, but I would argue is is thriving, albeit in a modest way, because SAP's attention is obviously on S4HANA and that's core to SAP's future. But But I think By Design, in my opinion, is is fairly secure at this point in its future, partially when you look at the competition where you look at SAP does need to have a product to stack up against NetSuite over at their friends at Oracle. And so I think that puts, when when Oracle acquired NetSuite, it kind of put a little bit more of an imperative on SAP to like, you know, make by design for, for real and for long term. But anyhow, I really like what's going on with the product. I actually have an article pending on there by design's approach to AI. So it's it's been fun to to see that product just refuse to die. And just and and much credit to the leadership team and to the customers who care so much about it. Absolutely, I'm just about to prepare an article on the uh, the six new bots that are going to come as standard for for, for BYD, which um which is a great move as well. So this is taking us down the road, isn't it, of talking about digital operations platforms and um, going beyond ERP. Do you think that's all hype? I mean, certainly the companies I'm involved in are heading that way big time. What do you think about it? Well, look, I mean, a lot of it depends on how you want to define ERP. I would argue that the classic ERP of old is pretty outdated and out of step with where companies need to go now. I would make an argument that there's a modern version of ERP that is much more relevant to where companies want to go. So it depends a little bit on how you define it. The the the, the weakness in a lot of versions of ERP and how we talk about that is the classic internal focus on optimizing internal transactions and such. And, you know, breaking down internal data silos is no, nowhere near as compelling now as it is your external constituent groups. And so like there's different transformation models. I was at Mastering SAP Australia. I talked about this with a bunch of customers around, you have to figure out what your transformation model is for your company and where you want to begin. And, you know, a lot of times companies are starting with customers and ERP wasn't built as customer-facing software. That's not really at the core of the ERP mantra. But I would argue that that a modern ERP system 
is, is essential to delivering on, on the promise of so-called customer experience or CX for short, if you want to get all buzzword compliant, because if I'm on an e-commerce site and I order something and the inventory was off, it turns out you have, you have egg on your face. You have to tell me the product is no longer in stock because your backend systems can't keep up with the front end. Well, you know, you have a customer experience problem. So I don't, I don't think you can disconnect these things, but to be clear, there's a lot of CX vendors that talk about ring fencing your ERP. So basically don't touch your ERP system, let it stay, just pull the data out as needed. And so ERP vendors, it's on them to talk about why you do need to modernize your ERP system as part of a view of transformation. But I think the real lesson of transformation and why it matters is there's, there's a couple big things. One is it's got to be about your stakeholder groups first and foremost, not, not just about internal processes. So for example, like there's this idea that it should always be about customers. I kind of reject that. I think customer-driven transformations could be great, but you could also have a supply chain-driven transformation to focus on your suppliers. I would argue you could probably have an employee-focused transformation also and focus on transforming your employee experience, so to speak. Um, but, but the point is you have to have a more external and comprehensive view. And if that's what you're getting at, then I think that's absolutely important. And and look, ERP has to be able to play nice with that stuff. So ERP, if it doesn't pass muster as like a data platform that plays nice with others, then you're going to have a problem. If your by design system doesn't play nice with your Salesforce system, well, I think you're going to have a problem with, 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 with selling that project. So with so many people wanting to get into a, a, a much bigger offering and all these different companies who are maybe they've got great offerings in some areas and not in others and now they're trying to expand is it a kind of wild west out there is it is, is everything up for grabs well yes and no uh, you know in, in the larger enterprise space there there's a conservatism that still exists where you know oh i we buy from this we buy software from this company and it's kind of this cover your ass thing around if something goes wrong. Well, you know, you never go wrong buying from Oracle, SAP, IBM, whatever. And so there's, there's an inherent conservatism that I think prevents a little bit of that wild West dynamic in the, in the large enterprise space. But I do think that as new software emerges, there are new opportunities and kind of new, new categories that, that get, that get created. I mean, you know, one, one interesting vendor along those lines is Coupa who kind of, have polished up this spend management as a, as a cloud category in a really interesting way uh, where it wouldn't have occurred to you in the past to think of that as like a, a, a cloud applications category, but here it is. And, and they've had a huge amount of success by creating a terrific user experience around all of that. Um, but, but that's just one example, right? And there's, there's plenty of others. And, and, and so, yeah, I think, I think there are opportunities where the Wild West comes in in a bad way is when you can't support these implementations from a services perspective. And that's one of the big issues that can happen with growth is, you know, and, and that's what I get really concerned with is we're still not getting enough projects across the finish line and, and calling them success stories. There's still too many that are getting hung up and, and this is a big problem in our industry. And so my, my also retired colleague, uh, Jared, Jared Pazahanik in the notorious in the SAP space for, for really calling SAP to account around this wild west. But what he was referring to was more in the consulting space where consultants could kind of put up a shingle and start working on projects without enough quality control. So there's a lot of aspects to the wild west. You kind of open up a can of worms with that. So I don't know what direction you want to take that in. 
Well, maybe I'll just pick up on the fact that you've talked about retired colleagues because I was going to bring up a guy oh, yeah. who uh, most people listening to this won't have heard of, to be perfectly honest. But um, your co-founder, Den Howlett, um, was once mentioned to me by a very senior SAP marketer as the person that he listens to. As in, yeah. you know, when it comes to influencers, Den was the person that SAP listened to. So he's retired. So what does that mean now for you? Is is that now your job? Uh, well, I mean, it, it, Den Den's a unique voice. Uh, you know, I mean, I feel good about the fact that that you know we we hear from SAP sometimes. You know that that the Diginomica is is really one of the top places that they look to in terms of where they see perceived influence coming from. And so a lot of the stuff that the den did, I did too. I went to a lot of the same events. We, we confronted the same executives with the same kind of issues. And so, you know, I, I was alongside a lot of that history with him. Um, look, I mean, I mean, den, den had a, a, a special voice in the industry as far as, you know, I, I miss reading his stuff sometimes. I mean, he, he had a unique way of expressing his views on the market and whether it was SAP or any other topic, I was always glad he, read his stuff so you know there when someone retires there's a loss there and you know he's still a friend and all that but miss sometimes when he would go off on something because he had his way about him uh but when it comes to sap it's a team sport i mean a, a number of us at digonomico cover sap in different ways but uh i i kind of perfected a way of covering sap that i don't think is too far off from what what den did my way of covering sap is kind of being embedded in the community because i was an sap mentor for more than 10 years i've written books on sap so there's all of that but you know the the thing for me is a very community driven perspective i have close relationships with a number of user groups uh including asug dsag and and, and uk sug uk isug however we want to pronounce it um and so a lot of my cues are taken from user groups but i also talk to the financial analyst community one difference between Den and I is that um, Den, like he, especially towards the end, he was writing about SAP constantly. So it was almost like, it was almost like a soap opera with regular installments, whereas like he never knew when it was. And that was about all he wrote about. Whereas um, for me, you know, uh, I, I write about a lot of different stuff. And so I'm not going to write about SAP as often as Den, but like, I think you're still going to get the same kind of nuanced coverage. I mean, I, I was the one this year who challenged SAP on, on the rise rhetoric around one handshake, one contract. And I went directly to the CEO and got the CEO, Christian Klein to respond and clarify and basically acknowledge that that was a, a, a kind of a misleading way to put it, um, which was not his intent. They weren't intending to mislead, but I got him to acknowledge that there were probably better ways of saying, getting that across than one handshake when there's more than one contract involved. So you know, I, I like to think that I, I, I have some capabilities there to, to take on some tough issues in this market and, and write about it, but readers will have to be the judge for themselves. I'm not trying to replace them. There's no way to do that. Um, but I did write an interesting piece on Signavio recently interviewed their CEO and just the integral role, what SAP is trying to do with Rise and how, how much they're betting on the business process uh, uh, intelligence part of things. So I, I think I have a pretty good line into the organization and uh, good relationships with with executives there as well, and so you know, hopefully, I'll put out some good coverage. But you know, what will will I you know have that kind of rapid fire thing that Den had towards the end? Probably not, because he was pretty much only writing about SAP towards the end. So, in in general, though, it it seems like the whole of uh, the the 
digenomic writing staff have got this kind of tell it how it is. It's very refreshing, that attitude. And, you know, people like me and customers can can come to you and, and feel as though they're getting the real deal. Um, you call out things which are overhyped all the time. Um, what's your particular bugbear at the moment, do you think? Oh, my goodness. I mean, where do you, where do you begin? I You know, it's funny because I was thinking about this and I realized, like, I could probably write a whole article around um, the different kinds of hype. I mean, in general, I, I'm very wary of, of tech hype. Uh, I, I'm, I'm aware of a certain kind, I'm, I'm wary of a certain kind of techno optimism of kind of like, oh, this is the magic tech that's going to solve all of our problems. A lot of it is window washing on stuff that's been around for a long time anyhow. Um, but, but in general, I think what I'm ultimately pushing back against is this idea behind techno optimism is this idea that, that, that progress is almost inevitable, like that good things kind of just happen because of tech, technological innovation. Whereas I believe that if we, we're actually going to have really important progress in this world on multiple fronts, we have to work at it every single day. And I don't think technology is going to come solve that. I mean, you know, I mean, look, look at look at how incredible these vaccines were for for COVID and what an amazing technological achievement that was. And yet, a, a much simpler problem: vaccine passports. By by comparison, a simpler problem is hung up. Why is it hung up? Because it's only simpler from a technical reason. It's not simpler from a cultural, political, economic, and international reason. And so that's just to me an example of like why we have to be careful about idealizing technology. And so when you look at it, you could pick on any number of things. I mean, one of the ones that I've been picking up a lot lately is CDP, customer data platform, because frankly, We've been trying to solve these master data and customer record problems for as long as you and I have been around. So what's new about CDP? So when, when we get a new buzzword like that, I want to understand what's new. This, and a low code and no code are, are interesting too, because like, I think there are generally some new, some new and interesting stuff going on in low code and no code. But then when I read that it's going to revolutionize everything, I get frustrated. Um, so, so there's a lot of nuance around hype because, because think about blockchain, for example, like blockchain was one of the big ones that I was really frustrated with because I think like, you know, Gartner has this whole hype cycle. What we have to understand is that not everything comes out of the hype cycle. Like, I'm not sure that blockchain, for example, will ever have significant viable, um, use cases in the enterprise. Um, I do think it will have some in the public sector, um, but I'm not sure in the enterprise. And, and so, so the point being, like, that never comes out the other side. Um, but if, but I could certainly talk about blockchain with someone who was much more reasonable about what it could do. When someone wants to talk about it as, like, a revolutionary force, then I have a problem with it. But if it's like, oh, it can be used for a certain kind of ledger or it can help with a certain kind of security problem, then I'm all ears. So a lot of it has to do with, like, how it's being presented. But in general, like, purging buzzwords is, like, a full-time job for me. And is another one of those buzzwords AI? Does that fall into the same category? <laughs> well, AI is actually, I think, the most interesting and important one to talk about of all, because I do think that there's a lot of hype around AI, but it's also, it's AI is different because there's other problems with the fact that one of the big problems with AI is that a lot of so-called AI systems are actually operating in the real world at scale right now. Uh, one of our Diginomica contributors, Neil Radin, who does a lot of stuff on this topic wrote about Epic Systems, which is this, you know, active in a, in hundreds of hospitals in the U.S. Uh, with with AI diagnosing certain kinds of, it's being used for COVID and some other things like scaling certain kinds of risk factors and stuff. 
and and not and not at all not much transparency at all around how it comes up with these things that are being used in day to day. The Wall Street Journal just did a piece uh, trying to explain the 10 million sort of gap in job requirements versus applicants, blaming it on screening tools that are powered by, by AI that unfairly screen certain kinds of applicants. So AI is a different can of worms because you have systems that are that are in scale. Because like I make fun of blockchain because there's not a single blockchain project live and in scale. AI is operating at scale, but maybe in a deeply problematic way in certain cases. Um, but 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 I do think you have to understand what AI is and isn't and what it's good for and what it's not. I mean, like, for example, machines are really, really good at at facial recognition. But again, like we, we, we can point to some really embarrassing bias issues that have come out around that topic as well. But machines are really good at scanning millions of faces and making judgment calls around that. But on the other hand, when I look, for example, I have all these smart devices in my home, which I got to be careful not to say right now because I don't want to talk with me in the middle of a podcast. But, you know, I, was, I think of sometimes about the fact that I've had these devices for four years or so, and I don't think they've really gotten smarter or better. So is that AI? And, and so, so I think one really interesting word is intelligent because you hear this word intelligent a lot when it comes to AI. And I think you can think about intelligent in two different ways. So for example, I was just talking with the by design team around that because they talk about intelligent RPA and stuff. And part of what they're talking about is, for example, being able to reorder supplies based on predicted levels of past supply needs, uh, or, or, or if not reorder, like ping the user and say, hey, you need, and this is what we're recommending you order based on past usage. Well, that seems like it goes that on a scale from automation to intelligent, that seems fairly smart because it's, it's telling you based on past behavior and past, you know, and perhaps demand projections, what it thinks you should order. But in my mind, the real criteria for intelligence goes beyond that into are the systems truly learning? Because I, I think if they're not learning from what you're doing, then I would argue they're not intelligent. So if they're not intelligent, are they really AI? I think it's just interesting. And, and I don't know if there's any easy answers to this. And I'm willing to use the term AI fairly loosely at this point um, with the understanding that we're not talking about some kind of generalized intelligence. But I think a lot of this is open to debate. But with AI, I think it's a little bit of a different problem, which is you know, the, the promise of the technology is clearly there but it's it's rife with ethical implications that are that are perhaps alarming. I mean, in the by design example, and you, I, you know about this better than me, but they were telling me about how they've had invoice scanning in place since uh, August of last year. They have 260 customers from 20 countries. Uh, you know, 160,000 invoices already scanned, and 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 basically like making it a lot easier for for growing businesses to process all this manual stuff that just slows them down from executing. And, and look, if AI can help with that and then eventually help them to, you know, alert them and, Oh, this, you know, this is due, this should be processed. Do you want me to process this for you? Uh, recognizing numbers and balances and putting them into system automatically. I'm all good with that. The problem is that it's not a neutral technology limited to that one sphere. We've covered so much, and I know you've invited me to to delve down the rabbit hole, but I I've, I've simply haven't got time to. But it, it's fascinating, and I can't wait to listen back to this again, and and maybe kick myself that I didn't pick up on some of the some of the areas that we we dipped our toe into. So maybe uh, I'll have to get you back again sometime, John. But thank you very much for joining me. 
sure. I, I hope I lived up to your expectations, but if not, we can try again in the future. Thank you for the opportunity. <laughs> it was a pleasure. That's it for the growth business for now. Do check out past episodes for more on business technology and the issues facing business today. Goodbye.